Well, good morning. It is good to see you all. I found as I was singing this morning, because I've had a bit of a cold, I, <coughs> I was getting to the point I didn't know whether I'd be able to speak because I was losing my voice, but <coughs> hopefully uh, you can hear me. I want to entitle for this morning's message is, we're continuing in our study of Galatians, Redeemed from the Curse, or a subheading, The Way of Blessing or the Way of the Curse. Every day we face choices in life, don't we? Face choices from the simple ones. Uh, when you got up this morning, um, you, you chose what to wear. I assume, assume you, what you're wearing now is not what you went to bed in. Uh, you chose a breakfast you would have. Uh, you, would cho- you chose what reading you would read this morning in your quiet time before God. Everyday, straightforward choices that we have. But there are also some that are more significant, more long-term, more long-term decisions and choices that we have to make. When we're younger, what subjects we're going to study at school? What career you you want to enter into when you leave school and leave university? Where are you going to live? Most important one of all, if you're going to get married, who is it you're going to marry? Um, That's a choice that you need to get right. I got that right 50-odd years ago, so I'm grateful to God for that. A number of years ago, there was a best-selling book entitled, it was by Derek Prince, entitled Blessing or Curse, You Can Choose. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend you read that book, but it was a bestseller. But this week's text presents us with that choice. So would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Last week we heard of Abraham who was a man of faith who believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Verse 10 here tells us there's another way to live, and that is by observing the law. The question that Paul was answering here in these verses is, how can I be accepted by God? How can I have a right standing with God? In other words, what is the basis of my justification? And Paul says here there are two possibilities. Either I'm justified by the works of the law, or I'm justified by faith in Jesus Christ. John Stott says, there are two alternatives, which is true. Is a man justified by faith or by works? Do we receive eternal life by believing or doing? Is salvation entirely and only by the free grace of God in Jesus Christ? Or do we have some hand in it ourselves? And this is what we're going to answer by looking into this these verses this morning. I'm going to answer, I just have two points this morning. 
which are the two alternatives. One living under the curse and two living by faith. So first of all, living under the curse. The book of Galatians is, is, has a radical message. It's a very strong message because it pronounces a curse from God not only on unbelievers, but also on professing Christians who try to serve God in a way that diminishes God's grace and cultivates their own pride. We don't look at this just as unbelievers. It's also something we must look at and weigh ourselves. It's important that this message from Galatians is seen as not only applicable to unbelievers, it is written for the church, and the issue is the enormous divide between divine blessing and divine curse. If we believe in God and desire to be with him throughout eternity, then Paul says that if you live by observing the law, you have to live by all the law that is written in the Bible, including the ceremonial law, the moral law. And if you fail in any one of these commands, you're cursed. Theologically, anybody who's able to live by obeying the whole law throughout their entire life would be saved, but they would have to love God wholly and they would have to obey his laws wholly. They would have to satisfy every demand of the law and that cannot be done. We cannot do that. You know that. We experience breaking the law every day of our lives. So anybody who's attempting to gain salvation and God's acceptance by obeying the law is cursed. So what do we mean by being cursed? Well, I looked up in Wikipedia and it says, a curse is any expressed wish that some form of adversity or misfortune would befall or attach to one or more persons, a place or an object. But biblically in this context, it means a divine separation culminating in the wrath of God. It's a divine separation. It's separating us from God that culminates in God's wrath. Whereas, we'll look at this a little bit more later on, whereas the blessing given by the high priest in number six was, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. And it's important we understand that because we will understand more of the effect of the curse. We're not talking about curses that are put on people by the dark arts and some of the things that perhaps read about in, in some of the, um, uh, I was going to say, strange places on earth, but that's probably not the best way of putting it. But, but people who practice dark arts, it's not that. And also we need to avoid... We need to avoid speaking of people being cursed because of some calamity that they've experienced in life. And we need to avoid books, particularly Christian books, that even teach this. I had the sad experience many years ago of a, a couple in our church whose son died at the age of 19 in a, in a road accident. And people were telling them they were cursed. Christians were telling them they were cursed. Cursed with the curse of death. 
I want to say quite clearly, it's rubbish. Don't believe it, don't accept any of that. And don't read it, because it doesn't do you any good. Paul quotes Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. He says, Cursed be anyone who does, it says there, Cursed be anyone who does not conform the words of this law by doing them. And he says in our verse here, he says, Cursed is everyone, everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's if we choose the, the way of the curse. And he leaves us in no doubt that we cannot be saved by obedience to the law and that if we do, we remain cursed. He says in verse 11, no one is justified before God by the law. That would be the case for us. We would for enemies be, forever be enemies of God, cut off from God's presence and his blessing and to experience his holy wrath for all of eternity. What a frightening thought that is. What a frightening thought that is, that when we look around, we see people who will be cut off for all eternity and experience the wrath of God. The works of the law referenced in Galatians 3, verse 10, do not rely on obedience which comes from faith, but to self-reliant efforts of obedience, which is the opposite to faith. Which brings us to the second point, or our second alternative, living by faith. This second alternative, or choice, introduces us to Jesus Christ. The second half of verse 11, Paul quotes Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. Probably many of us will remember that was... <clears throat> the turning point in Martin Luther, in his conversion, when he was kneeling, going up the stairs, saying all his, his, uh, his, um, um, his prayers, he realised it's not by that, it's by faith the righteous shall live. And he says here that the law is not of faith, <clears throat> and the only way we can be reconciled to God and redeemed from the curse is faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the only way. But now through Christ's death on the cross, the Lord's curse has been removed so that now in Christ, God's blessing can flow. Christ, Jesus, our Saviour, who was the Son of God, is the Son of God, who left his Father's side to be born in a stable, to live 33 years of righteous, sinless living and goes in our place to the cross as our substitute has cleared the way for blessings to flow. Jesus Christ came as the obedient son who fulfilled the law and has cleared the way to enable God's blessings flow and as the Christmas carol puts it far as the curse is found. It's been dealt with. What are the blessings? We read them earlier. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. Christ made a way for us to be redeemed. As he says in verse 13, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by 
by becoming a curse for us. He became a curse for you and I so that we would be redeemed from the curse. The curse that we deserve because of our law-breaking was on the cross transferred to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, a wonderful, wonderful verse. For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus, be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an incredible statement that is. Stop and think about that. For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus, sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. This is what we call the great exchange. We give Jesus our sin and he gives us his righteousness. As Martin Luther says, he calls it the, the fortunate exchange. The great exchange, the fortunate exchange. What an incredible and glorious truth that we're reading. And Paul again quotes in verse 13 from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, when he says that cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul says here, cursed, referencing that, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. The apostles continually referred to the cross as a tree. As far as they were concerned, Jesus hung on a tree. In the Old Testament, when a person was executed, it was usually by stoning. Then the body was hung on a tree as a symbol of divine rejection. And this, this, this understanding that the Jews had became a real stumbling block to the Jews. They could not conceive of a cursed Messiah. If Jesus was the Messiah, how can he be hanging on a tree? Because that means he's cursed. When Christ hung upon the cross, he hung upon the tree. He experienced the curse on our behalf. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that very moment, he was accursed. And his father turned his face away from his son. Referencing back to the high priestly prayer. High priestly prayer was God's face to shine upon you. No longer God responding to the high priestly prayer of turning his face upon him and blessing him. In that moment when Christ was receiving God's holy wrath on our behalf, he turned his back on his son. He turned his back on his son. The first time in all of eternity past, the intimate relationship of the father and the son was broken. I would suggest to you, to, to Jesus, that was more painful than the thorns, more painful than the lashes across his back. More, pain, more painful for the sword in his side. The intimacy 
that Christ had had with his father for all of eternity past. Sometimes it's hard to think of eternity past, hard to think of eternity future, but there was no beginning and there is no end with God. And for all eternity past, they had this intimate relationship. And because he was hung on a tree, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. When Jesus was hanging on the tree, he was receiving the curse. But he was receiving it on our behalf. Jesus on the cross took upon himself the curse. And it's his death and his resurrection are the grounds for our acceptance to a holy God. D.A. Carson writes this, All Christian blessings and resources are grounded in the blood of Christ. From a Christian perspective, all blessings and resources are grounded and secured by Jesus' death and resurrection. Do you find yourself accepted before this holy God? If so, it is because of the blood of the Lamb. There's no other way we can be accepted by God. It's through Jesus, the shedding of his blood, his death, his resurrection. And we can be redeemed and stand before a holy God because now we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You know, the letter to the Ephesians opens in verse 3 with this wonderful declaration. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has blessed us. Jesus hasn't got to do anything more for me. He has blessed me. I'm his. And if you're a Christian, you're his. Whatever happens from here on in in our lives, we are blessed with every, every spiritual blessing. I notice two important little words in there. <clears throat> Who has blessed us. It's happened. We live, as we said time again, that we live in the already but not yet. We live in already receiving blessings of God. And we already live in eternity, just that so we're going to go to sleep one day and wake up with Christ. But also, he says, every, every spiritual blessing, everything that we need, We've been given. Again, the bless. I'm thinking about the blessing of the high priest, the high priestly blessing in the Old Testament. It's forever realized in Christ for all of time and eternity. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Yes, he will keep us. Psalm 121 says, he will keep us. No harm will come to our souls. He will keep us right through now and into eternity. So that's there for us. It's done. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. His face is ever turned upon us because our lives are hidden in Christ and forever he's facing Christ. Our lives are hidden. He's been gracious to us, hasn't he? And the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. We now have received the peace of God. We never have to pray in a sense that prayer but we could daily in prayer thank Jesus for our lives hidden in Christ and the Father forever turning his smile upon us and giving us peace with him 
No other conditions are to be met for our acceptance to God, the Father, than for us to have faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Remember that phrase every day of our lives. Every day. Faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. You know, years ago, I <coughs> attended a number of Billy Graham evangelistic meetings. Some of you younger ones may not have heard of Billy Graham, but uh, went to many of those meetings. And uh, while, while literally hundreds of people would make their way to the front after Billy Graham would give an invitation to accept Christ, the choir led by Cliff Burrows, in all meetings, never an exception, I've seen not only the ones I've been to, but I've seen others online and around the world. Cliff Farrows in all the meetings would sing, Just as I am, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and thou that bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. We come to Christ just as we are. The only thing we bring to the party is our sin. We come just, and we don't have to wait until we reach a certain standard of behavior to be sorry enough, to be ashamed enough, or to feel good enough. We simply need to believe, trust, and receive God's gracious offer. And as we're accepted by Christ, just as He accepts us, just as we are. We need to accept one another, just as we are. When you look around, I look around here, standing here, and you can look around, we are, um, how can I put it, a mixture of personalities and characters, backgrounds, nation, nationalities. And we don't come together because, and accept one another because you happen to be in my, on my wavelength. We accept one another, just as we are, just in the same way being accepted. Let me say this. In accepting others as they are, it doesn't mean we agree with their values or their way of life. I'm sure, I know, God not only didn't agree with our way of life when he accepted us, when we became Christians, uh, but I would suggest that he still doesn't agree with many aspects in our way of life now as Christians. And yet he still accepts us. He said before, never more accepted on the day we die than on the day that we gave our lives to Jesus. We are accepted in the beloved. Because of, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. I've taken many funerals over the years and uh, when asked to speak about the, the person that has gone to glory, I will talk about my conviction of where they are in glory. And as I look out on a sea of faces of many people who know the person, uh, are not Christians, I add my confidence is not in how they behaved in their life. 
my confidence is what they believe. Because I don't know how they behaved. I saw something in their lives. But at the end of the day, it's not about our behavior. It's about our faith. God doesn't accept or reject a person on their behavior, but it sets them on their faith. I read this of Martin Luther. It's it's a bit strange the way he's written it. Martin Luther explained God's true way of justifying sinners like this. So he's kind of speaking in the role of God, so you have to see it in that light. He said, if you wish to placate me, this is God, do not offer me your works and merits, but believe in Jesus Christ, my only son, who was born, who suffered, who was crucified, and who died for your sins. Then I will accept you and pronounce you righteous. Just simply on that basis. If you're trying to placate me, you're trying to earn favour with me, you're trying to gain acceptance, do not offer me your works and your merits, but believe in Jesus Christ, my only son who was born, who suffered. So first of all, we believe that he's God's son. Flesh, God incarnate, who was born, who suffered, who was crucified, who died for your sins. Then I will accept you and pronounce you righteous. Christianity, sadly, has been seen in the world as to be based on how we behave, whereas being a Christian is based on our believing and trusting in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Let me make it clear, it's not that we ignore God's commands, but we do them not for acceptance, but coming from an obedience of faith. Like Paul says, that our love for Christ compels us. So we don't just ignore what God says, but they're not the basis for our, for our acceptance to him. But those things that we attempt to live in our lives to please God comes from obedience of faith. See, when we read the letter of the Ephesians, Paul reminds us that our salvation is by grace, through faith, and tells us all that God has done for us in Christ. He then opens up in chapter 4 with a, therefore, in the light of what God has done, live a life worthy of the calling. He is saying our response to God's way of life, our response to being accepted, comes from a position of our faith that we have been chosen in Christ and have been adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. So the way we live flows from what God has done in our lives. The way we live, so we're not saying... It doesn't matter. We must be careful how we talk. It's an obedience of faith. Our life, how we live our lives, flows from what God has done in our lives. And the connection between verses 13 and 14 teaches us the substitutionary death of Jesus purchased for us, gives us the right to receive this incomparable gift of the Spirit and shows us that the only way to receive it is by looking away from ourselves to crucify Christ. And as Paul encourages us to live lives worthy of the calling, we do that empowered by the Holy Spirit. We, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.3, the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart, written on our hearts, written on our hearts.
when we stop holding out onto our desires for self-exaltation and look away for, uh, away for righteousness and strength to the grace of God, then we experience the power of God. Look away from ourselves. Look to receive grace from God daily. Daily, daily, every day. You need to pray for grace. I thank God for his grace. And we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when Paul says in Ephesians, be constantly filled with the Spirit, what he's saying is be constantly filled with Christ to be like Christ. And we can only do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, God's blessings flow. The curse has been lifted from us. The promise of the Holy Spirit now flows and becomes the fulfillment of Israel's prophets. They prophesied that one day God will remove the sin of Israel and pour out his Holy Spirit. This we see by, fulfilled by the work of the cross in forgiving sin and in Acts 2, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the people. The Judaizers wanted to supplement faith with works of the law, which has the opposite effect than the one intended, for it brings curse, not blessing. And Paul here in Galatians is pleading and arguing with them against this. It is a people of faith, not works, who are the children of Abraham and inherit his blessing. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this faith is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. But God not only gives us faith for salvation, but gives us faith empowered by the Holy Spirit to live by faith. We're in a battle, aren't we? A battle of faith. It's a good fight that Paul encourages Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of faith. And fighting the good fight of faith involves running from sin. Pursuing things that are righteous, pursuing things that, that are faith, running from godliness, and run with endurance and gentleness. Fighting the good fight of faith is about making a choice. A choice to pursue God's will and a life of faith on a daily basis. As I was thinking about this, I'm just going to go through very briefly some texts. I was just to remind us of what we need to have faith in. Not just faith in Jesus for our salvation, for our acceptance. But do we really believe the death of Jesus is the promise of God to withhold no good things from those who trust him? Do we really believe all things work together for our good? Romans 8. Do we really believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Do we really believe that Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for us? Do you really believe that he has begun a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ? The old Christians years ago used to talk about warring, warring on the scriptures. Never really understood what they meant. I got fists up and get this. But they warred, they battled with the scriptures until their faith, that it was no longer just words on a page, but it was living. They lived in the good of it. 
wonder, do we really believe that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death and frees us from the guilt of our sin. He frees us from the guilt of our sin. You see, guilt of our sin is a curse and ignores the cross, whereas acknowledging our sin should drive us to the cross. When we sin, what do we do? Let's go to the cross. That's where we find forgiveness and grace. Because we can know we're forgiven, but we can live sometimes as we're weighed down heavy by our sins. The Bible says that our sins, far as east is from the west, Jonathan mentioned it a week or so ago, buried in the deepest sea. And Corrie Ten Boom, some of you may know Corrie Ten Boom, she, she says, and when it's buried in the deepest sea, Jesus puts up a notice on it, it says, and no fishing here. No fishing here. We don't need to go back. He's forgetting them. We sometimes can't forget them, but we don't live remembering them. I'm living in guilt. We can go to a cross. And this is the challenge and the battleground of every Christian life. And I believe it's our most important work every day, how to keep our day's activities from becoming works of law and how to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us to redeem us from the curse, the curse of legalism. So to sum up this passage, Paul says there are two possibilities. We live under the curse of the law or we live by faith in Jesus Christ. And the lesson we learn from the church of Galatia is not to try and add words for our acceptance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Our salvation this morning, our acceptance to you, is not based on our works. It's not based on anything that we've done. It's all because of Jesus. It's based on our faith. Our faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. And even that faith, you say, is a faith that you've given. So Lord, we, we can't add anything to this. The only thing that we bring is our sin. Thank you, Lord, this morning. Because of Jesus, we now live by faith, no longer under the curse. And Jesus, thank you, you took the curse on our behalf. And Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and bless us. You come and enable us to live lives that will bring glory to the Father. So, Father, this morning, we are a grateful people. Lord, if there's anybody here who feels they're under the curse, Lord, let them turn their hearts to Jesus. Let them simply accept what Christ has done. But John Newton says it, it truly is amazing grace. It truly is scandalous grace. 
that you, the Holy One, should give your life. Take our curse upon you in our place so that we may never, never, ever experience the wrath of God. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful, wonderful love that you showed to us on the cross. Amen.